spend time each day in meditation, either in silence or chanting a mantra, at least for 20 minutes, and really start to try and feel your pain instead of suppressing it with external distractions. And just breathe. The Good People Effect is something very special that happens when we surround ourselves with the right people to help us grow. The show is based on three main pillars, which are creativity, adventure, and purposeful living. My intention is to create positive momentum in the direction of real human growth, and I believe by taking a glimpse into the lives and minds of good people through deep conversations, we have the opportunity to open ourselves up to immense growth that can be later injected back into this crazy world. This is more than just another podcast. It's an energy of intentional growth that's been manifested from the beauty of the creative spirit, the call for adventure, and the power of purposeful living. It's a tool for growth, and it's accessible for all of those that are open to listen. Enjoy. Hope you enjoy that little message at the beginning of the show. That's actually from Harpreem Jeet. My last guest on the podcast, Harp, is a very special individual. We had an interesting conversation about Kundalini Yoga, about her vegan food truck entrepreneurial journey, and we spoke about life seasons and we got some beautiful lessons out of that chat. So if that's something that interests you, please go to the last episode of The Good People Effect after this one, of course, and make sure you check out that chat with Harp. It was definitely a good one. Today, though, I've got a very special artist on the show. I've got an illustrator and an author of eight books. So Lisa Kongdon is a beautiful soul, a beautiful creative soul uh, who's come on the show to share her wisdom. She's had uh, she's worked with a bunch of clients, including MoMA, REI, Harvard University, and she's written books like The Essential Guide for Building Your Career as an Artist. And her most recent book, Find Your Artistic Voice is the topic of our discussion today. So we're going to be talking about ways to find inspiration. Uh, we're going to be diving deep into creativity and the openness uh, in life that kind of correlates to creativity and uh, finding your inner creative voice. So if you're an artist out there who's uh, working on you know, finding your own path, finding your own individual voice, uh, a uniqueness and authenticity to your work, and you want to bring this kind of thing to life, then this episode is definitely for you. If you're a creative of any type, I'm sure you could benefit from this conversation and from Lisa's book, Find Your Artistic Voice. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we jump into the show, just want to throw a big thank you out there to everyone listening. Um, I'm relaunching the podcast and I'm super excited about this. I've put together my new website and I'm going to be throwing up plenty of resources on there especially for creatives, people that want to live a more adventurous life and start growing into a more purposeful being. If that's you, then please jump onto goodpeopleeffect.com. Um, I've got a new email list going, so I'm trying to build this tribe, trying to build this pack of us to help us grow together. And I'm going to be providing you with free resources included um, online creativity courses, different types of courses, uh, eBooks. Uh, different summaries from the show, resource lists, reading lists, just good stuff's coming your way in abundance if you join up to the mailing list. I'm only sending out probably about one email a month, maybe less. So everything I send out won't be spammy and it'll just be good stuff uh, coming your way. So if you haven't had a chance already, 
jump on goodpeopleeffect.com and at least check out the website, see what you think. Also, just wanted to quickly throw out an apology to you guys. This particular episode is a little bit lower quality. I'm experimenting with methods of recording remote guests. And this specific chat um, is a beautiful conversation that we, you know, dive in into the insights of creativity with Lisa, but the quality isn't the absolute best, uh, like a lot of the other episodes coming out. So please bear that in mind and, and show me a little bit of patience on this journey of, of growth and learning that I'm going through with the podcast. Uh, but yeah, sorry for that, guys. And I hope you still enjoy this conversation with Lisa. So what's interesting is that I grew up in a really creative family. My mom is a super creative person and I grew up, you know, making things and being surrounded by, um, making and creativity, but I was probably seen as, and also saw myself as the least creative person in my family. Um, and I always tell this story when I was a little kid, I, you know, my brother and sister were sort of plopped in this gifted and talented program at school and I wasn't and I remember asking my mom you know why wasn't I put in that program or why wasn't I tested for that program and she said oh you're not gifted you're you're a hard worker and so I started to think of myself from a pretty young age as somebody who wasn't creative and wasn't particularly artistic or gifted in any particular way I think my mother would take that back with every cell of her being if she could now. But, you know, I started off my life sort of not really thinking of myself as being artistic. So I didn't take art classes in school. I didn't, um, I didn't pursue anything creative at all in my life, except maybe, you know, in my hobbies. And so when I was in my early thirties and I'm 51 now, so this was about 20 years ago, I went through the sort of big um, life change. It was actually a bunch of life changes at once. So I went up through the, the ending of a relationship that I had been in for almost a decade. I changed jobs. I went from being an elementary school teacher to working in an office. And, um, and I think, and I was also sort of entering a new decade of my life. So I was, you know, entering my thirties. And I went through this sort of early midlife crisis and started to really question everything that my life was about. Like, why was I here? What was I doing? Um, what mattered to me? And in that process, I discovered that, um, that I was really missing having any creativity in my life aside from what I needed to do to make things interesting for my students because I was, had previously been a teacher and teaching little kids requires a lot of creativity. And, but I wasn't really doing anything for myself that was artistic at all. But I realized it was something I was super interested in. I had always been in a relationship, um, not just with the person I had just broken up with, but previous to that, I had always dated artists and I was really interested in art and design, but I never considered myself artistic, probably because a lot of the messages I got when I was younger was that I wasn't artistic, you know, that I was, you know, smart and that I was hardworking, but that wasn't really part of my story. And then I just, in that period of time in my early thirties, decided to explore that part of myself. So I started taking art classes I started, um, I sort of, sort of set up this little 
what I now think of as a studio at my kitchen table. I was living by myself for the first time since I was in my early 20s, and I had this really tiny studio apartment in San Francisco, and I um, I set up the table, you know, I would like eat and make art at the same table, and I started taking classes, and I sort of fell in love with making art, and you have to remember this was like in the... Um, like in the mid 2000s, so early to mid 2000s, right? So this was like 2002, 2003. And I had no picture for what, you know, the life of an artist was. The internet was sort of still in its relative infancy. Um, and so I was just doing this for fun. And eventually, you know, within a couple of years, I noticed and discovered that the internet was becoming a space for creative people or people who were interested in creativity so to share what they were making and what they were up to. And, you know, this was like, um, way before Instagram or all of the places where people do this religiously now. And, but there were sort of burgeoning spaces at the time. And Flickr was this photo sharing site that I was on at the time that, I started sharing images of the stuff I was making and I started a blog. What kind of things specifically were you making at that time? Well, at that time I was making, um, well, I was drawing and painting a little bit, although my work looked really different than it does now, partly because I hadn't developed my skills yet. I was a total beginner. Um, and partly because, um, you know, your work evolves as you find your voice over time. And I hadn't really found my voice yet. I was just sort of a beginner um, but I was also sewing a lot and I was doing collage and I was sort of experimenting with all kinds of things that, um, that interested me to sort of figure out what I enjoyed and what I, you know, what I liked the results of. So it was a really experimental phase for me. And I started sharing all of this stuff, um, with a very, at the time, small community on the internet. I have a really big following now, but at the time I'm talking like five or 10 people, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I got a lot of encouragement from the online places that I showed up. Um, and I continued to experiment and post my work and take classes and explore. And within a few years, I started getting, you know, requests from people like, can I buy this thing from you? Or will you design my wedding invitation? Or, you know, just little things like that. Were you doing this full-time at the time or were you doing other... Oh, gosh, no. I had a job still. So, I was working at an education nonprofit and this was way before I, you know, you know, did anything close to what I do now. So, it was those little requests that made me realize like, oh, maybe I could do this full-time, part-time eventually, maybe, maybe even full-time someday. I never expected to make any money at it, but, you know... So eventually within a couple of years, I did leave my job and I opened an Etsy shop and I, this was in 2007, so a handful of years later, and I started selling my work. Um, that year I left, left my job and, um, started trying to sort of cull together different ways that I could make an income. And, um, I took, said yes to every opportunity that came my way, started promoting my work online and, you know, social media wasn't then what it is today, but it was sort of starting. And I, you know, was an early adopter and just started using that as a place to say, 
you know, um, here's my work. If you're interested in hiring me or, you know, paying me, I'm here. And, um, eventually that grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And here we are today. So yeah, I didn't actually get started painting or drawing tools in my early thirties. I didn't leave my job to, um, you know, become an artist, uh, full time until I was 39. And, um, and really over the last 12 years, um, my career is sort of, um, incrementally, um, I like to say exploded because in the last few years it has <laughs> incrementally um, exploded. Expl- I like incrementally that. exploded. I yeah. like I like the idea of you know in the very beginning you weren't so much encouraged to follow your creativity or to you know pursue you know art or just to kind of pick up a paintbrush and somehow you've just become an artist now and and a really good one. So that's a that's a really like a really interesting way that that's curved. So if I could just rewind back for a moment, can you pinpoint that pivotal moment where you know everything was falling apart and can you remember the the catalyst for the decision to you know give it another try? Well, it, I do remember feeling really um anxious and depressed during that time because I had made this big career shift, which ended up being really great. But, um, career shift, I mean, from going from being a classroom teacher to working in an office. So, so, you know, I, it was, um, it ended up being really great, but it was, you know, anytime you have a big change in your life, it sort of unseats you a little bit, right? Like it, it takes the ground out from under you. And sort of simultaneously, I was going through this huge life change where I broke up from, you know, the relationship that I had been in for almost a decade, my entire twenties. And, um, and my whole world shifted. That's right. And I, um, I started going to therapy and I had this really amazing therapist. And previous to that, I had always sort of thought of my, my, my life as sort of being, or myself really of being a victim of, um, a fate, right. And that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I didn't necessarily have any talents or skills to offer the world. I didn't really feel very good about myself at all. Um, I was pretty, um, overwhelmed with like self-loathing. And, uh, I remember going to see this therapist and, um, hearing her suggest to me that, those were just thoughts that I had about myself and that they weren't based in any reality. And of course I realize now that's true, but at the time that was just such a notion to me like that, that I, that it wasn't that I was unworthy of happiness or success or that I didn't have any talent. It was that that's what I thought about myself, but the reality was up to me and that, um, and she started to, to suggest that I had agency to sort of turn that around and to like begin to think about my life in a different way and to begin to think about myself as somebody who had agency in the world and, and, and that I could make a difference in the world because those, those were things that were really important to me. Um, and yet I didn't feel that I had any, any, you know, way to make a difference in the world. And so working with her was really transformative. And I think I had probably most of my ahas during that moment. And simultaneously, I sort of, I think both to kill time because I was in this place where I was alone for the first time in 10 years and also to give myself something, you know, to do that was constructive. I started taking art classes. And so this like really magical thing happened in the sort of blending of 
going to therapy and beginning to think about myself as somebody who had like power and agency in the world and beginning to shift how I, you know, how I felt about myself and what my potential was and making art. So that was all sort of happening at the same time. So, um, I think in a way I always say like art saved my life. Um, it's probably more true that therapy saved my life, <laughs> but I happened to be making art at the same time. So I poured everything I had into making. And, um, and that was a really transformative experience. And then once I realized I could do it professionally or potentially to contribute to good in the world, then that really was like next level for me. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, that's, that's kind of the thing that brings it all around, right? Once you can give back and, and once you can kind of, you know, take, because it sounds like you've been rescued and you've been rescued by yourself really but you were guided by this therapist and it even sounds like the art was a, f a form of therapy as well it might even be worth like writing her a letter and saying thanks because that sounds well it's interesting that you should say that because um recently um last year i was on a speaking tour and i actually was telling a story um of my path in as part of the talk and i mentioned her and the impact she had on my life and I, I actually did reach out to her and let her know that. Um, and it was this really beautiful exchange that we had because I hadn't seen her in years. And, um, and it was kind of like this sort of full circle moment. So I actually did that. And it was great. Yeah. Kind of like if someone really enjoys a piece of your art and just reaches out to you or if someone enjoys this podcast and reaches out to me, it's just a really nice feeling. And it's a really special thing when you can show that you've really helped someone. Absolutely. Yeah. Their own, you know, suffering. That's great. That, that sounds amazing. And, um, yeah, it just sounds like you've come a, a long way. It's been quite a journey and it sounds like you needed all those kind of hard events to take place for you to really kind of flourish and, and thrive in the world that you've created now. I think so. I think so. I think like I always say that struggle is like our greatest teacher and for me, um, you know, you can either choose to stay in unhappiness and struggle, or you can, I mean, struggle is real, <laughs> bad things happen, life is hard. So I decided at that point in my life that I was going to use those, use struggle and hardship and difficulty and challenge as an opportunity to learn and grow rather than as an excuse to, you know, not do anything and to feel sorry for myself. And so that was a huge shift for me. And I sort of, you know, yeah, I like poured all of that into the creative process, which is also, and the creative process is also this super difficult, challenging experience. And, you know, a lot of people don't engage in it because it's so challenging and vulnerable. Um, and so it's kind of like what I went through at that time in my life taught me to stick with the creative process and the creative process has taught me to stick with other difficulties in my life. They really kind of, I think, are both great teachers. Yeah, they go hand in hand. There's plenty of lessons to find if if you if you kind of look at it in the right way, or you you know how to kind of compare things. In regards to the creative process, because I remember I was mentioning to you earlier, I used to work at an ad agency, thinking of ideas for ads, and our creative process part of it was really, and you mentioned this in in your book, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute as well. But it's just part of it is really opening yourself up to experiences around you know, around the world and just life experiences. And once you're open to those, it allows you to kind of go in many different directions within 
your own creativity because you've been exposed to these other influences, um, which it's, you know, it's hard to get to certain places if you, if you haven't been exposed to different things. That's why they say travel is great for creativity because, you know, it really helps you out um, because it puts you through all these different challenges and different, you know, experiences allows you see, to see things from a different vantage point. How do you feel that openness, you know, really helps your creative process? And, and do you have anything you want to say about that? Because I found that a really interesting point you mentioned in your book. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is um, is what I just was was mentioning before, which is this like openness to using and looking at and sitting with discomfort and hardship and challenge. I think that a lot of times people will say, well. I'm okay being open to experiences, but I only want to be open to positive experiences, right? Or I only want to be open to experiences that are comfortable. And one of the, you know, research shows us that one of the greatest predictors of innovation and creativity is this openness to experience. Because if you already think that you know everything, or you already think you have everything figured out, and you're not open to being wrong or looking at something differently or using an experience um, as a like a diving board for creativity, you're, you're going to stay stuck in the same, you know, that's why like at creative agencies, like the, probably the one you worked at, you know, brainstorming ideas for things is a really big part of your job. Right. And if you aren't open and your mind isn't open you can't really have a really productive brainstorming experience. You have to really force yourself to think outside the box and getting yourself into that mindset is really hard. And so, you know, so personally, part of it has been just, you know, sort of staying open to the possibility that everything I'm experiencing in my life and my creative process is happening because there's something for me to learn from it. Um, I also think that, you know, for me, one of the main questions I get asked, and this is a really simplistic question, but it has, I think, a really kind of deep answer. Um, one of the main questions I get asked by other artists or people who are just starting out on a creative path is like, how do you think of subject matter? Like, how do you think of what to draw? Like, I know I can paint, but I just don't know what to paint. And so I obviously, in the beginning of my, you know, journey, probably had similar thoughts. And at one point I realized that if I kind of embraced the whole of my experience and that if I began to think about like all of the things that I was passionate about or interested in in my life and all the things that kind of woke me up or made me feel excited, whether it was something visual or something I had read or, you know, it could be literally anything, um, I would start writing those things down because I realized that that was related to potential subject matter for my work or was just in and of itself the subject matter for my work. And so um, I always encourage people to just stay open to anything that passes through their mind and to carry a notebook around and just write things down because that process really works for me. In fact, I have like pages of notes on my phone because I don't always have a notebook with me that are just random thoughts or like things that I see when I'm out in the world that get me really inspired. And then I think like, how can I translate this into my work? And so staying open to, you know, just what's around you and being present and observant, both of your own thoughts and like what you're, 
looking at when you're out in the world is also, I think, a, a really huge part of staying open. Um, and, you know, part of the challenge is also keeping track of all that stuff. Yeah, that's definitely a good little tip and I might even use that myself just carrying around because I've got a notebook usually and I capture thoughts on it and usually, you know, when I come across something on social media or on the internet or just in life, I, I like to take a screenshot of it but writing things down that I notice and, and thoughts that they jog is a really good one. It's really powerful but it's almost as if kind of there's so much information coming in in today's world. It's like... You, if you really want to go out there and, and search for things, because it's nice to do that when things kind of fall into your lap or when, as you're going through your life, you see these things and you notice these things and you're open to them and you write them down. But when you actually go hunting, when it's hunting time, uh, it can be quite difficult to kind of sift through all the all the crap out there. You know what I mean? It's true. And sometimes hunting can sometimes feel productive. I mean, I, I think most artists are like love research they love researching and geeking out on like some things that they're interested in but it can also be really exhausting and not super fruitful so having a way to like capture when you know because when we go in search of inspiration it's not always there right and it strikes us sometimes at the weirdest moments like when we're swimming laps or like in the shower or in the middle of the night when we have insomnia and so those are always the hardest times to capture it. Right. Um, but figuring out a way to do that is really important because I mean, how many of us have woken up in the morning and said, I know I woke up in the middle of the night and had some amazing revelation about something, but now I can't remember what it was. Right. Um, and those are moments that we want to try to capture. And I'm really, um, sort of like, I don't know, uh, kind of a geek for like, recording every little thought that comes into my head. And I don't always follow those paths of inspiration. Um, but sometimes I do and they end up, you know, turning into like entire bodies of work or pieces of writing and stuff like that. So staying, you know, paying attention to those little things, um, and capturing them is, is, yeah, just, it's so important because sometimes when you go hunting for it, you can't find it. Yeah, yeah, it's not always going to be there and that's that's kind of that's something you can't really force, is it? It's kind of like you have those light bulb moments and you, you really need to capture them otherwise they slip away like a dream. That's right. They kind of gone into the abyss. <laughs> that's right. Hey guys, I really hope you're enjoying this chat with Lisa. I hope you're getting something out of it. I hope you're sponging up all the creative goodness. I'm just going to play you a quick handpan song. It's one I put together quite a while ago actually, uh, but I thought I'd just throw it out there. Uh, but before I do... Uh, if you haven't yet gone to goodpeopleeffect.com and checked it out, please do so. There's plenty of re free resources that will be coming your way if you support the show. So, please head over to goodpeopleeffect.com, check it out. And if you want to become part of the tribe and receive some of these free resources, including free online courses, uh, PDF breakdowns of some potent lessons from you know this month's conversations, free giveaways, contests, and just good resources that I really feel like can accelerate your growth. So please head over to goodpeopleeffect.com.
Um, in regards to finding inspiration and just noticing inspiration, uh, where do you see the line with it kind of uh, contaminating your work? Like if you're, you know, they say like creativity is like a remix of old elements and you take a bit from here and a bit from there and you've made something new. But, you know, it, there's originality as well and authenticity that comes into play. And when we're talking about finding your own voice, I think those things are very important. So how do you kind of take inspiration in a way that, you know, you're not really stealing or, or, or just copying someone else's voice. You're actually turning it into your own. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's probably one of the most challenging parts of being an artist, um, especially today. And in the book, I talk about the fact that now more than ever, um, we are bombarded with visual imagery not just the imagery that we sort of purposefully take in on Instagram, right? Like we all have these people that whose work we admire and we're sort of scrolling through. Um, but also everywhere else we go, you know, art is on fabric and t-shirts and tote bags and mugs and stationery and shoes. I mean, it's literally everywhere now. Um, and that's great because things are sort of more colorful and artistic sort of out in the world than they've ever been. And it's great for artists too. Like artists work is licensed and put on things in ways that it never was even 10 or 20 years ago. Um, but you know, the byproduct of that is that, you know, there's all of these trends and like specific artwork that we see constantly and we're, we're, we, we get overwhelmed by it. And, you know, our reaction is either like, yes, I like that or no, that's boring. But but when we see imagery that speaks to us and we like it, we're, we're consuming it constantly. And so um, one of the things that I think is important to acknowledge is that, you know, it is important. A lot of people think they have to be totally original. And um, there is no such thing, right? Because we are so, um, you know, what? I mean, on the one hand, like your creativity is like the only as Brene Brown says, like your creativity is the only unique thing you'll ever, you know, have ownership of really in the universe. But at the same time, nothing is, you know, completely, um, unique because we're constantly influenced. Uh, you know, it's like we're artists because we're influenced as opposed to being artists, despite the fact that we're influenced. So I think the first thing is just to acknowledge that that is true for everyone. Everyone, every artist, especially in the beginning of their path, um, you know, is an artist because they're inspired by other artists and they want to make work that fits into a particular genre. Um, of course, we have goals around being unique as well. But, you know, a lot of artists um, make work early on in their career that does resemble the work of other artists. I mean, I think the goal, and that's normal and natural. So people need to just take a deep breath, right? Um, what's not okay is like outright copying somebody's work and selling it for profit. Like inevitably, we're all going to make work that looks similar to other artists. But part of finding your voice is moving past that and really developing your own perspective. So I like to say it's really good to have more than one particular influence. So if you're going to be like stealing from other artists, you're stealing lots of things and sort of creating your own mishmash versus 
you know, if you're really influenced by one person in particular and you're like constantly, um, making work that looks like theirs, that's going to get you in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Not only get you in trouble, but I think it will kind of, um, you know, it'll be like a barrier to how far you can go. I think it's like any craft, like it's okay if you're like, you know, copying Dali to try to learn the brush strokes or whatever. And you've got all these different kind of artists that you're, that you're working on building your skill set from. But then when you make something, it's, it's cause it's from you. And that's automatically, like you said, going to be influenced by all these places that you've kind of seen things or heard things or thought about. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Like almost every artist, I, I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but almost every artist can point back to a point, a time when somebody said, ah, oh, that, that thing you made, it reminds me of so-and-so, or it looks like so-and-so's work. Like we've all heard that. And it stings a little bit, but it's always a good reminder when somebody says that, right? Whether it was intentional or not. I think where people get in a lot of trouble is like they're trying to emulate one person. And there is a lot of that and it won't get you far because ultimately it just gets you called out um, for, for, you know, being dishonest, especially if you're trying to mimic one person in particular. So I think, I just think it's a thing to be super hyper aware of and to listen to your gut about. Um, I do think part of learning is emulating, but we, there is a point at which we have to move past that. I used to keep a sketchbook. I don't anymore, but I would, um, like, uh, draw folk. I'm really interested in, in like folk art. Um, so I was looking at folk art. Um, well, there's folk art from every culture. So like every culture has art that was developed by, you know, by, by folks, by like people in the culture, um, traditional art. That's right. And so American folk art is, you know, art from the 16, 17, 1800s. Um, yeah. And so there's German folk art. Every culture has folk art or art that is just made by regular people. Um, and so I was really, I love the sort of naivety of folk art and have wanted to kind of, um, have that come through in my own voice. And so for years I would like look at old folk art and do my own interpretation of it in a sketchbook. And, you know, it was just a study. It wasn't anything I was going to reproduce and sell, but it was a way for me to sort of understand like some of the like motifs in traditional folk art and how I could infuse them into my own work. Um, and that is part of, was part of my path of learning versus, you know, um, taking that stuff and reproducing it as is and turning it into something and calling it my own. Um, part of like what inspires us as artists is that particular movements or genres of art, um, whether they be old or new are interesting to us. And so taking in those influences is great. They're inspiring. We love them, but you have to find your own space, right? In that, in that genre or in that niche. And um, there's so many ways you can do that. And part of it is just by making a large volume of work because the more you paint and the more you draw, the more you, um, you know, do whatever it is you do as an artist, um, the more your own voice emerges. Um, you can't do something every day for a year and not get better at it and not have it become your own, um, you know, your own style. Yeah. So I really encourage people to like, turn off the computer, turn off the phone and just begin making their own shapes and 
working more from memory. In regards to, because you mentioned doing things every day for a year and getting better, right? So I know in the book you talk about um, just showing up, you know, just showing up for yourself and showing up for your work and everything kind of starts to fall into place when that happens. And that there's links between you saying that and have you heard of Stephen Pressfield and his book Turning Pro? No, I haven't. talks about resistance and this kind of uh, force that's upon us, uh, upon any artist that really kind of um, we all have to wake up in the morning and fight the dragon and, and it gets easier but it, the, the dragon's always going to be there. And it's it's all about kind of fighting this this force of resistance to really push through to our to our true selves to the you know our pro version of ourselves. Um, so I found that fascinating. Could you talk a little bit about um, you know your maybe your own struggle with resistance and and what you meant by by showing up? You know, I think showing up is like I, I posted something the other day on Instagram. It was like showing up is like ninety five percent of the you know of everything. Um, I think there's somebody famous said that once and I can't remember exactly who it was, some, some version of that. And, um, so often we don't, you know, especially as, you know, if you're an artist who is a freelance artist and you work from home and you're not working in house at an agency somewhere where somebody's like, you must complete this thing by tomorrow when you don't have that sort of external motivation based on, you know, a deadline or something. Um, when your work is really self-imposed and self-directed, it's often really easy to procrastinate or to sit there and overthink something, right. And just not do it. And so, you know, there's, there's, you know, I like to say show up and then also begin. So even if, where you begin is totally different or far away from where you end up. Um, just literally like the metaphor of like pencil to paper or pen to paper and beginning is super important. And part of that means showing up and sitting down at your, you know, metaphorical workspace. Um, and it's, I do agree with the resistance analogy. I do think that like so much of our resistance comes from fear. So when, um, when we envision that what we want to create isn't necessarily what we're going to be able to do in that moment. Um, if we sat down confidently every day and said, you know, Oh, I got this. And sometimes we do, right? Like we make the thing that's in our head. We know we can, we sit down, we do it, we crank it out, we're done. But most of the time there's this element of anxiety that happens the minute we sit down to try to start something. I think it's harder when we're looking, like we are looking at, you know, comparing what the stage or level that we're at to, you know, the rest of the world out there and how maybe how far we are from where we want to be. Yeah, it's like, it's true. It's like um, you're comparing... Sometimes it's other people or we're, but it's, yeah, it's like this idea of in the book I talk about, um, uh, this beginner gap. Um, so Ira Glass, who's the host of this American life, he tells the story on one of the episodes about the beginner gap, which is basically like the gap between what you perceive as your, you know, your skill set and, and your taste level. And so I think like most of us deal with some level of beginner gap every time we sit down to make something, right? There's this idea of what we want to do, or maybe we don't even have an idea. And that's part of the problem. Like we're brain dead and like we have to 
we want to make something, but we don't know what to make. Or maybe we have an idea, but we're not sure we're going to be able to execute it. So beginning feels really terrifying because we're our own worst judge, right? Our own worst enemy. And we're so afraid of disappointing even ourselves, much less other people, if we can't actually, you know, do this, you know, execute our idea. And so there's so much fear wrapped up in, in, in starting and doing and making. Most of the time, though, once you begin and get rolling, you eventually get there or you, you realize, oh, you know, I got closer than I got last time, or I like this drawing or this painting more than I, you know, more than I liked the one that I made last week. So oftentimes showing up and just starting is like the first step because we can procrastinate forever because we're, we're terrified. Yeah. It's just kind of learning to deal with that fear, drawing a box around it and kind of letting it go and just moving forward in, you know, it doesn't need to be the best thing right away. It's just kind of patience and knowing that things take time and, you know, there's no real set time for anything. Everyone's kind of working on their own kind of time in this, in this kind of life that we're all kind of floating through. So just kind of take your time, take a breath and, and work through the process and things will come when they're meant to come. Um, you talk about the monotony of certain areas of your creative work. And I found that, you know, with video editing and editing the podcast times, things can get kind of dull and boring. Uh, you know, not everything's the most creative part of the job or the most fun part. Um, how do you work through those kind of moments? Well, I think that we also put this pressure on ourselves, and this is related to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago. You know, we put this pressure on ourselves that everything needs to be perfect. And there's this preciousness about our work that that doesn't need to be there. And so um, part of working through monotony or boredom um, is, or the sort of more laborious parts of the process are sort of letting go of, you know, everything being in, at any moment, things on your, your, you know, your canvas looking perfect and also letting go of immediate satisfaction. So, um, you know, boredom is a regular part of making for some crafts like, you know, video editing or pottery or, you know, they're even more monotonous than others. People who work on, uh, paintings for a really long time that are really layered or people that do things that are really detailed. And, um, I find that, you know, those are sort of bigger tips, like viewing the monotony as, you know, is a necessary part of the process, but also like there's some really practical things you can do too. Like, um, listening, like figuring out, okay, if I'm going to be, if, if this is monotonous, it probably means that it's fairly easy. And, um, I'm going to therefore use part of my brain to engage with something else while I'm doing this thing. So a lot of people listen to podcasts. Have you heard of Bob Ross? Oh, I know Bob Ross. Yeah. You know about that thing where people are like the online gamers are just watching Bob Ross. Well, yeah. I mean, you could do that. You could listen to music that gets you inspired. You can listen to audio books. Um, I also think it's really important to create a space to um, do your work in that feels comfortable and inspiring, um, you know, treating yourself to your favorite tea or coffee or whatever while you're working, like whatever it is that's going to feel good when the making art part doesn't feel good. I find like giving myself a carrot to kind of work towards. So yes, 
that kind of helps because then I'm yeah. like, get to the carrot and then everything's all good. You know what I mean? I don't talk about that so much in the book that I just wrote, but I do talk about it in this, um, this class that I teach. And it's really like, re- like the reward system of getting through certain parts of your to-do list. I teach a class on time management. And so much of that is, is you know, setting a goal for yourself. Like if I finish this in this amount of time, then I'm going to reward myself with whatever, you know, and that really works for a lot of people. Yeah. So it depends on the type of person as well. I've heard consequences work for other people and that doesn't doesn't work for me, but (laughs) yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about the book? Yeah, sure. So it's called, um, find your artistic voice, the essential guide to working your creative magic. And, um, I wrote it sort of out of, um, I was a few years ago, I was doing a lot of surveying of my followers. Like, what do you want to learn from me? Because I was interested in developing some new classes and, um, and potentially writing a book. And I did, uh, informal surveys and I did a formal survey back in 2016 or 17. And one of the things that I learned was that, um, people more than almost anything want to, want to develop their style as an artist or want to develop their voice, like want to have a unique perspective. Because as we were mentioning earlier, it's really hard, right? Like there's so much amazing art in the world. We're consuming it. Like, how do you get to the place where you're actually, your work stands out, you know, where it's both really strong visually and conceptually, but also sort of different enough from, you know, what any one other person is doing. And that is a process. It does not happen overnight. It it takes years of development, which is why in the beginning we sometimes, you know, feel like we're copying other people or we don't know who we are. Um, and so I decided to write a book about it because I feel like for me, it was a really challenging process, especially as I didn't go to art school, so I'm self-taught. So I, I sort of had to like take myself through this process because nobody else took me through it. And I felt like I had some, some personal experience. I also, um, you know, really wanted to demystify the process for other people because clearly it was confounding other people as well. Um, and so I just started researching the topic. I had my own story, but I wanted to know what other people had to say about it too. Um, I interviewed for the book. 11 people, um, 11 working artists. I read a lot of the research on creativity. You've got a lot of quotes throughout the book as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and so I just, uh, said, what are, you know, like I started to ask a lot of the questions that are answered in the book. Like, what does it mean to have a voice? Why does having a voice matter? What is the creative path look like? Um, because I think a lot of times people are on the creative path. And they assume if they're struggling, something's wrong, but that probably means something's right. (laughs) I think it's important for people to know that, um, you know, and what, you know, what is the role of fear and like, how do you, how do you work through that? Um, and you know, I also think it's important for people to understand that there are actually things you can do to solidify and speed up the process of, of finding your voice. Um, and it doesn't happen with sort of sitting back and waiting it happens through action and discipline and showing up and, 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 and really digging in, um, and doing some sort of daily exercises. 
And so I give a lot of advice on, you know, just really practical tips for kind of speeding up the process of, you know, figuring out what your voice is. And there's tons of tips from the interviews as well with the, the other artists. So that was kind of my, my intention. And, um, and I'm really hoping people get a lot out of it. Yeah, it was an amazing book. And like I told you before we started the show, like I've already gotten a lot out of it and it really connects to a lot that I've, I've learned before as well. So it's a really, really good read. How can people uh, get the book and how can people find out more about it? You can buy the book anywhere. Um, as you and I speak, it, um, it comes out in a few days. So by the time this podcast is released, it'll, it'll be for sale. You can, you can get it on Amazon and probably any, uh, you know, local bookstore if they've ordered it. Um, you can buy it directly from me in my online shop. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, I really, I wrote the book mostly for visual artists, but I do think there are a lot of sort of general principles in it, um, that a lot of creative people could relate to if you're feeling stuck. Yeah, that's exactly what I felt. Like I didn't even realize it was for visual artists just, you know, really came through, um, you know, strongly with messages around creativity that, you know, feel like they're, they're really nice pieces of wisdom. So congratulations for getting the Thank book you. done and putting that out into the world. Well, <laughs> not yet, but in a few days. Thank um, you very much. And you're taking a break. You're taking a break from things. Yeah. So in 2020, which um, is still a few months off, I am taking my first ever sabbatical. So for the whole year. So I have um, in around... 2011, things in my career really started to take off. So for the, for the last eight years, I've been working like a dog. Um, <laughs> I love what I do and I've done, I've, I'm, this is so find your artistic voice is my eighth book. So I've made a lot of books. I do a lot of commercial illustration work, licensing. Um, I've had art shows every couple of years. So I'm always kept myself almost too busy. And, um, you know, as we've been talking about the sort of creative brain needs space, it needs, um, it needs rest. Um, and it needs like openness. And when you're working all the time, you don't have as much of that. And I really am interested in like, what's next for me, not necessarily professionally, but creatively. And I'm not ever going to figure that out unless I take some time off to play and explore. So I have a book tour this fall. I'm finishing up a handful of books right now that will, um, come out next year. And I'm going on a book tour, um, for find your artistic voice this fall, but next year, my schedule, I'm keeping open to just travel, um, which is another, as you mentioned, great way to like open your brain, um, and to work in my studio and to experiment with new mediums and, um, and just make some personal work for a while. And so I've saved up money and, um, I, I'm still going to have my shops will still be open and, um, I'll still be teaching workshops and stuff like that, but I'm just going to take a break from, from client work and books for a while. And I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah. You must be looking forward to it. That sounds amazing. What kind of mediums are you looking forward to experiment with? Well, I got a kiln, so I'm really interested in ceramics. Right now I'm using it, but I'm using a lot of like preformed ceramics and just sort of painting on them. So I want to get into like molding my own, um, getting some clay and working with clay. I want to get back to sewing. I have a show actually that opens in June of 2020 and I have all kinds of ideas in my head for things I want to make that are not paintings. Um, so some ceramics, but I also have some 
some textile pieces in my head. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're working as a professional artist, it's like, it's, I don't know, for me, it's just been this really amazing way to, to make a living. I feel like I have to pinch myself every day, but I don't always get to do what I want to do, right? Like I'm doing work for clients and I'm, I'm working on projects that I, you know, that I agreed to. And, and while that's really fun, it's not, you know, it's, it's not super like satisfying in the way that doing your own thing is. And so you need to find a balance. Yeah. And so I get to go back to a lot of things that I did maybe way back in the beginning of my creative journey when I was experimenting with a lot of things. Like I really haven't had much time because I've really honed in on painting and drawing. And so I'm just excited to kind of see where that takes me. Yeah, that's so exciting. You must, it must be great just looking back at where you've begun as well and just kind of seeing the evolution of your work. And this sounds like it's going to be, you know, another step in, in that direction, but more of a leap, I guess, because you're really going to be doing what you want to be doing for a little while, which is going to be cool to be able to, you know, just compare things and just see how much you've grown. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm pretty thrilled. cool all right well i think you're pretty good thank you for covering you know so much wisdom on creativity and you know helping people find their creative voice is just such an amazing uh, goal or objective and i think that's such a cool thing that you've written a book on it Um, and i'm sure like a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it and it's really going to help you know enrich the work that's put being put out into this world so you know thank you thank you i hope so Thanks for tuning in to another chat. All the information that Lisa's mentioned, including her artwork and links to her new book, they're going to be available in the show notes section of this episode on goodpeopleeffect.com. Please head over to the website anyways, guys, because I've got a new tribe that I'm putting together. I want to put together a bit of a pack, the Good People Effect pack. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be sending out resources to you guys, like free online courses, uh, PDF breakdowns of some potent lessons from, you know, this month's conversations in, as well as, you know, free giveaways, contests and just good resources that I really feel like can accelerate your growth like book um, book lists, reading lists, that kind of thing. So goodpeopleeffect.com, consider joining the tribe if it feels right. And next week's episode is going to be with Ryan Hunter, a very adventurous canyoner 